0: Welcome, James. Welcome, Alex. How are you both?
1: Good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Very good, thanks.
0: Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, just before we hit record, James told me that you're both going away tomorrow. So thank you very much for giving me your time at this uh, moment when you're very busy, getting ready for your holidays. James also mentioned that he's, for, for listeners, that he's running the Paddy Buckley round. Do you want to give us a quick overview of what that is, James, for your holiday?
2: So, yeah, so the Paddy Buckley round is the Welsh equivalent of probably the more well-known Bob Graham round. which mm-hmm. is, So it is a 24-hour round, so you have to essentially complete a loop of, I think it's approximately 60 miles, um, over 47 peaks in Snowdonia, um, and end up back where you started, so I'm just going to start Planberis and go over the Gliders, down into the Ogwen Valley, over the Kanedai, down to Capel Curig, over Shabod, all the way around to, I think you end up in um, Nantmore. Then you go over the Nantil Ridge, um, over to Snowdon, and then I will be finishing off with Snowdon probably in the middle of the night and then back to Hlamberis, hopefully within the 24 hours. But the challenge for me in part was to do it solo, so I'm going to be on the hill by myself, even though my wife is going to uh, help me out at road stops.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Your lovely wife letting you trot off and do that for the day whilst you're on holiday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She'll be looking after three kids as as well as being my road support.
0: Wow. I, I love it up there. I like I mentioned just before we press record, we were there last week. We uh for the forest coaster up in um Betty Code. I love that part of the world, it's beautiful. So enjoy. I look forward to hearing how you get on. Thank you. Well we'll get straight into it, Because we were um th- this this time we're gonna talk about um well, I think we came to this because so often runners Miss the strength training, which is what you're all about, and then they only pick it up after they've got injured. Is that a fair comment?
1: I'd say so. I think the but we're we're all about about prevention, uh, and prevention being better than than cure. But I think most people find us because they've had some issue previously with, with um, injuries, and um, the way in which we approach 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 it all is is very much a a more holistic approach rather than just thinking about the injury itself it's it's the mechanisms or the the most likely reasons for you to be becoming becoming injured so that's why people kind of stumble across us uh in a hopefully in an attempt to help prevent them uh, with with injuries but um obviously people fifty well, percent of runners every year get injured, so at some point it's a flip of a coin, whether or not this year you're gonna get injured, so you kinda of find us um when when uh, when there's an issue, but hopefully we can push that to a more of a proactive approach to it.
0: mm mm-hmm. So what are the most common running related injuries that do you, you see Actually, when people come to you?
1: Yes, it's a good question, and it's pretty much the foundation of how. So, excuse me, how um, sore and ready to run came, came about. Um, the vast majority of injuries, eighty percent of all injuries, are uh, overuse rather than traumatic injuries. So, overuse is the uh, continual loading of a area of the body when, and that. Um, that repeated loading goes above what the body can tolerate, and therefore you get an acute or a, a kind of a, a sudden, a sudden injury. Unlike the traumatics, which are about twenty percent, which are things like rolling your ankle while um, while running, or um, the really unfortunate things of being hit by something or falling uh, falling over. So, the eighty percent of those overuse injuries are are the sorry overuse injuries are eighty percent are clearly the most. The most um dominant in that the eighty percent of those injuries, which is really interesting, happen at the knee or are related to the knee or below um so you can see that quite quickly when you go for overuse then down to a lower limb and knee and below, you can see quite quite quickly that there's an awful lot of um stress going on around those areas, so you, kind of the most common ones are like runner's knee. Patella and Achilles tendinopathies or tendinitis, plantar fasciitis, ITB syndrome, shin splints, um, and hamstring tendinopathy-based um, injuries. So they, they 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 account for the vast majority of them, and, and probably runner's knee, which is just kind of aching pain around the kneecap and the, the femur, is probably the the mo- well is the most common. The literature would suggest this it, it is the most common uh, common injury. But they're all basically, when you look at anything which involves the tendon and an inflammation of the tendon or the fascia, which is the plantar fasciitis, um, or a, a bony stress reaction like shin splints, that is all overuse-based symptoms. So those, when you get a shin splint, it's because the, 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 the bone has been um, pounded upon more than it can actually tolerate. When the tendon starts to inflame, it's because the tendon is working more than what it can normally tolerate, and when a when a muscle starts to behave inappropriately, or, dis, or in a dysfunctional point of view, it's um it starts um again that's a, a stress related response. So they're 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 kind of the main injuries. It's not to say you don't get injuries elsewhere. There's clearly hip, low back injuries as well. But the way we view it, and in the lens that we view it, is is what happens below the knee. Or at the knee and below, which almost cascades the uh, injuries up above the knee. So often, the back or the hip aren't the causes; they're just the symptom of something that's going on below. Below that, um, and it's often just the ability to manage all of the um, the forces as you land. And if you're doing lots of running, you know, in a ten k, I can't even. I guess you probably would do. Um, 20,000 steps in, a, in, a, in 10K, that's, you know, that's 10,000 steps per foot. And on that, you can probably um, see how quickly an overuse injury can occur if you've got a slight dysfunction in, in a tissue from the knee downwards um, in, in the body.
0: Anything to add to that, James?
1: I was going to say, from, from
2: my coaching clients, the ones I see a lot, and suffer from myself for the runner's knee and actually quite a lot of Achilles tendonitis or tendinopathy, whatever you want to see. But, you know, when I chat to Alex about my runners, those tend, those tend to be the um bits, the bits that we focus on.
0: We'd we see a lot of threads about plantar fasciitis. <laughs> if I think about the, um, the injury threads that come up, that, or, or they seem to be the one that get discussed the most is it um, is that because it's so difficult to get rid of or wh- wh- why, would, why would you think that might yeah. be
1: yeah one because it's like a red hot poker <laughs> going through the sole of your foot when when you get it i, I had it this is really random i didn't get it through running i was working um in with team gb in the rio olympics I was and I was heading up a training facility at, at a facility just outside of the Olympic village, but I was there for six weeks and on average I was doing about twenty-five 000 to thirty thousand steps a day, um, which was probably double what I normally okay. do. And I came back um and, and I, again you get free you get free Ellie kit. Um which um while you're a part of the team but it's not the normal trainer I, I normally wear and i'm i think the combination of changing footwear and overloading the number of steps that i did i got plantar fasciitis and the reason why is just that my body wasn't um, tolerant of the sudden change in or the overload of of that so the reason why i think people talk about it is because it probably wakes you up in the morning when you um when you first get out of bed it's probably at its worst and it's primarily because when you're resting you have a slight um stiffening of your muscle tendon unit so if you think the muscles one part the tendons the other part um when the, the, the kind of the fascia underneath the foot is kind of linked to the ton of tendon a bit so when the muscle starts to relax it just pulls it a little bit and suddenly creates a bit more tension and it's actually when you Spend a bit more time on your feet and you stretch it out. It tends to alleviate a little bit. It doesn't get rid of it, but it alleviates a bit of it. So I suspect because it is so blooming painful in non-running activities that it's um, it really it really becomes a um, a big conversation um, and it is really difficult to get get rid of as well because there's a there's there's obviously there's a range of movement piece there but there's also a kind of a it's what your calf and the, lo- the, the kind of the musculature around the front and the back of your lower leg actually can do to kind of change that so it's about to get too scientific on it that um if you have a, a muscle which um doesn't contract or shorten and lengthen effectively you often get a lot of range of movement through the, the fascia of the foot so you get that range of movement. Um, so the body cheats. It finds the easiest way to, to move. And if you don't get the movement through the muscles of your, your lower leg, it will find the tendon or the muscles above or below. And often the, the, the fascia of the foot is what becomes the victim of that. And so often when you're treating the pain, you don't necessarily treat the, the cause of why that's happening, which is often a bit further up the leg. And I think that's probably why cause it's, stub- it's really stubborn if you um, – If you don't do do it and i know now after that event that was what seven years ago seven years ago if i still don't do single leg calf raises two three times a week um still after two weeks i will i will quite quickly get get it after doing some some training yeah um it's yeah so you do have to stay on top of it it's one of those the same with all the kind of the, the tendon tendinitis or tendinopathy based symptoms if you don't stay on top of these things you can quite quickly turn back into a into a um into the negative negative state of it and it, it can be you know if it takes two weeks to for the symptoms to come back on again it might take four weeks to alleviate it it's 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 almost takes twice as long as that's a kind of a rough rule it's not a a, a a kind of a physiological rule but it's a rough rule of if you if it takes a number of weeks to get into a symptom, it will take almost double that to get back out of it. Yeah.
0: Do you do you ever see people as they age? Perhaps have had an injury. I you know in their twenties, and then twenty years later, the same injury returns, even though they've had a huge gap of it being completely fine. Do you see things like that? Is that is that yes. a thing?
1: It, yeah. it definitely is a thing. Uh, from from working with athletes but also from personal experience that um i had al uh, 4 l5 significant disc irritation when i was 21 22 and that's when i still had rubber and magic in my body and you could sort of do very little and get over it and kind of kept on top of it and then as i kind of transitioned during covid set this business up and was Probably more sedentary, and there was obviously more yeah. restrictions. Like I felt it, it came back again. Um, and the last twelve months, I've had on and off sciatica, based because because of that irritation from um, twenty year, over twenty years ago. But you see that um, the best predictable future injury is previous injury. So if you had a previous injury in a site, there is a greater opportunity to injure that again um and some of that is because of poor rehab um but some of it is because you've just changed the um the uh, the structure of the tissue and that sounds really 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 kind of i suppose abstract but if if this is as a kind of a a kind of easy way to look at it if 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 everything is supposed to be uniformed in your your tissues and when you're young and you're healthy everything's nice and it kind of moves nice nicely when you become injured it kind of gets a bit more gnarly and and so on so it it just isn't like what it was before and if you don't um if you don't rehab properly or just over time your tissues just become like that so if you've got a a minor frailty in that space that kind of grottiness can come back again because aging is another f- factor in uh, in predicting yeah. injury as well
0: yeah well like your natural strength deterioration as you as you age and um your mobility reduces yeah. doesn't it as you age so if you've got yeah. those slight changes in structure like you're talking about then i guess that would amplify again so it makes total sense
1: yeah and i was, I was w- listening to a um a radio show on lbc a couple of weeks ago and it was talking about aging and i think one of the questions was asking about you know, how do how does an olympic champion uh four years later not even make the final and you know there was lots of hearsay about what, what it was but a, a professor came on and started talking about aging and just the effects of aging on, on like, it's really depressing uh, talking about this as you get older but like <laughs> or, your muscles just don't function as as, as appropriately. Your tendons become um, less compliant and stiffer, and they don't they don't work like like they did before. Your joints have taken more of a pounding, so there's less kind of synovial fluid or cartilage protecting them, and all of these things have these kind of you know, minor effects. But when you aggregate them all together, like it kind of changes. The very way in which you move, and you try and you know, as I say the body's when I say lazy I don't mean it in a negative way, it just finds the easiest way to move from A to b yeah. and yeah. if you make a small small change somewhere else it will it will move slightly differently and you, and that just puts more load on another part of the system yeah. and it's like mm. a car like you know if you change your um you change the um uh the amount of power a car can produce, but you don't change the brakes like the, what you end up doing is having an inappropriate braking system for a very high accelerating system, or you change the, the weight of the car, you put more weight onto the left-hand side, then the wearing of the t- the tyre becomes more than if it isn't balanced with, with the right-hand side. Right. And it's exactly the same for us. We just wear, our body just finds a way of moving, and suddenly it becomes a point where it's like, nah, I'm not having that anymore.
0: Yeah. And like you said before, it makes its way up the chain, doesn't it? Makes yeah. It makes its way up the chain and refers yeah, elsewhere absolutely. yeah, yeah. Have and interestingly have, have you seen the guy there's a guy doing the rounds on youtube at the moment and he's trying to reverse his age and he's taking like hundreds of pills a day have you seen have you seen
1: him i haven't <laughs> seen i've i've heard um, someone was talking about him in the um the training center yesterday
0: yeah he, i think he's on um uh, Diary of a CEO podcast this week. I, I just saw, it. but I I have actually seen him on a different podcast. And he is literally trying to reverse his body, but he's taking like millions of pounds worth of different of different uh, tablets, and and I was just like, wow, is yeah. it is that you know is that worth it? And he only drinks, he only eats in certain times, and he has three mils of alcohol at seven o'clock every morning, and I. <laughs> Anyway.
1: Yeah, I think I'd rather age so, gracefully. Your delay is inevitable. He, That's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's not living longer. It just feel it'll just feel to him like he's living longer because it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah there, yeah. there is a balance to be had, isn't there? Around like what you can do and what's actually just kind of like that kind of sweet spot of because you still got to live a life haven't you and, and, and this is the same with training isn't it like you can spend your life you know the athlete I was working with yesterday I had a conversation with the, the, the team at the end and I was like the amount of training this person is doing is significant and I'm not sure they need to be doing that amount of work and then if you extrapolate that back to a human that's a ba- basically six hours of of exercise um a week of which four hours of that is probably more remedial corrective and sort of supportive rather than performance focused i was like well oh, i'm not sure anybody wants to spend that amount of time um which is again why running um ready to run is, is set up to do the minimal dose response to get the most for your for your buck really yes
0: yeah which
1: in today's world is perfect, isn't it? How busy
0: everybody is. So you you went into that then, really. But how in terms of how these injuries are usually sustained, but you, do, is there a is there a pattern that you see regularly for people with with these overuse injuries?
1: Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, there are. They're all slightly different, but there is generally a, a re, the, the exact same reason um that that this occurs, and if you take take away you know people say oh that you know it's footwear, it's training it's you know all of that ultimately comes down to one or two physiological responses, which is you are placing a certain tissue or group of tissues, whether that's the muscle, the tendon, the bone, under more stress than it can cope with and that that fundamentally is a pattern so if you change your footwear like i described when i was in, in rio for instance that that clearly had an impact on on it but fundamentally my my um my tissues were able, unable to tolerate um what was what was um going through there so so that's the kind of the first kind of physiological thing it's just it's stress it's overloading over, overloading that the, the second um kind of uh pattern we see is you'll you'll have one of two things occur you'll get an injury at that site or it will be an injury um above or below which is why it's really important when you're doing the sorry above and below that the where the where the the limitation is because the body's offloading it into one of those spaces which is why when we look at this you have to take a much more holistic approach to to this so if, if you have a calf issue it may not manifest itself as a calf issue, which is why you have to look at all the other assessments that we do above and below, because you will see a deficit, which um, may may exist. Um, and too long in my career, it was like, well, they've got a hamstring issue. Let's just go now the hamstring. And then actually when we looked at it, it wasn't a hamstring problem. It was a, it was a loading issue around the calf and actually they were trying to um, offload the calf and by doing that they put more load through the hamstring um funny enough and so it's that's why it's really important to to do that so they're the kind of the two kind of patterns that you you see one is is overload two is um it's a site of injury or the injuries above above and below um and i suspect the, the third bit um pattern i see um and this is more with um those who have um, who don't do regular physical like physical activity in terms of or, sorry physical strength training or or, or um, uh, supportive strength training around that is that they have long periods of absence or rest between uh, training or they received an injury and they haven't and they just rested it so the tissue um, hasn't or the, the tissues of the body just haven't adapted and I think well we've we've spoken about this a fair amount, but yeah. the key thing for me is what ends up happening is um you rest because you feel pain the pain is a sim as a signal to say that something around that area is not not working, and you stop until that pain goes but what you what you've what you've done and this is what overload does. It, when I was talking about this nice kind of uniformity as a kind of as a kind of abstract idea like you've the pain is kind of created and the injury is kind of created there and all you've done is just left it and it's just no there's no signal now to say that that's there's an issue there so you go back and load like that rather than loading back like in a kind of more uniform position and the only way you get uniformity is through training and actually changing the the the, the tissue again to get it back to normal so that the third pattern is when there are long periods of um uh not attempting or deliberately not attempting or unaware of not attempting to make a change to that tissue after injury.
2: That's one of my bugbears <clears throat> with some of my fellow runners is the the wish to rest and then come back. And then the same thing happens again, and they rest and come back. And there's there's one guy I run with who has had knee problems on or off all year. He rests, comes back, runs for a few weeks, knee hurts, rests, comes back, and, and it, you know it's just a cycle that at some point you need to break. You need to break the cycle and actually rehab whatever whatever is ro- whatever is wrong. Because I think you know resting is often not the solution here um it will take the pain away it won't take the pro it won't take the problem away Mm -hmm. you know and i can totally you know the the other sort of real world example is coming back to injury size i went to see the physio yesterday because i've got pain in my knee um guess what it's not my knee it's a weak glute that is causing everything to tighten up and pull my kneecap out of line and then my knee then my knee hurts um and it's you know it's just cascading down. In, in this case, yeah, it's coming down down the chain to hurt, hurt my knee. So the site that hurts may not be the site where the work's needed. Yes.
0: So how does how does that point interact with your with the program and specifically the exercises that people have to do as part of the assessment?
1: Yeah, good question. So you'll see. So the, the four the four exercises that are included within the the risk report are have been selected to um, target the the areas which we know are most likely to be affected, but we also know they're kind of proxy measures for other areas. And I was saying to James this morning that actually we have assessments for. Um, Pretty much everything. Like I think when we were when we were um, talking about the exercises required for the for the course that sits alongside this, I think there are fifteen different assessments that we use. Like if you did the whole the whole shebang, like that would be it. And, um, but we've chosen four, which we think are much more representative of the vast majority of people. And knowing like when we've done the, the data analysis on the assessments. It tends to be the trend is 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 if you're good at one, you tend to be good at all. If you're average at one, you tend to be average at all. If you're poor at one, you tend to be poor at all. And that that's yeah you know, that's true for about ninety percent of the people um, that that we that we've tested, and that that gives us an idea that if you have a poor single leg calf raise score, the chances are you're going to have um poor knee to knee to wall range of movement and um uh some of the other um assessments around the uh, foot if you have a poor hamstring bridge for instance then you are likely to have poor knee um like a, a quad um quad capacity um and poor hamstring range of movement and you tend to see all these things kind of moving in in um in unison as, as as they get as they get better so we've selected ones which we think are are well one they're really easy to do and it can be done with no no instruction or no person in front of you you can do them at home but two one uh, ones that we think are important enough to be representative of the the lower body and you'll see that they're all either um below the knee or directly um, around the knee, so the hamstring and the quad stretch obviously have, that, have the knee component within that. So we know that has a. they're all, all um, covering the, the vast majority of the areas that we know are high risk. Yeah, cool.
0: So if, if anyone listening then is um, unfortunate enough to get injured, what's the first thing they should do?
1: Uh, well, the first thing... <laughs> while we've been bashing resting that the first thing is actually you, you do need to um rest and um and you've probably heard of rice you know, rest ice compression elevation there's also this call it price now which is protect uh rest ice compression elevate and the idea is that it's trying to remove the immediate acute responses to to um to the pain so often with pain you'll get an increase in heat increase in inflammation um and a protection of the area to try and avoid 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 movement and that's body telling you that there is a there is genuine distress in that space and um so that'd be the first thing is to properly offload it if we've been really clear with um ready to run that it's not for rehabilitation, it's about prehabilitation and protecting. So and we're it's about knowing um where the injury what the injury is before you can start making an effective plan. So often the best advice is to go and see a a a physio um who'll be able to as James test um, gave his testament a second ago, it's not the knee, it's something else. So obviously when you feel it's a knee you try and do you know if, if you Go and Google knee pain on for runners. You know, there's five billion Google hits, and you can choose any one of those things which can be misrepresenting or all that, but actually getting genuine advice around what that is. Once you've got advice of what it is, um the pain is no longer a problem. Then the the, the two things we talk about are around range of movement or flexibility and work capacity, and work capacity is. Basic, loosely like strength endurance like we don't need to be super strong but we do need to have the ability to repeatedly load and a, a, a muscle or a tendon um sub maximally for long periods of time which kind of kind of sits right in this work capacity based world of lo- lots of repetitions so the programs we 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 um, write they actually go up to fairly hefty numbers of repetitions because we know that if you can do 45 repetitions on a single leg calf raise, then your calf is potentially not a limiting factor to you um, becoming injured in the future. So the idea then will be to start on low intensity loading to increase your your work capacity. So um, we often try and get people on, so if it's your left leg that you might have an issue, we try and do double legs so that you take a little bit of the load off that, and then you move on on to the single limb. We look at ranges of movement as well, and just make sure that the the joints um, and the muscles can have a, a freely movable um, uh, plane plane of access so that they that they're not limited. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me, that they're not limited by um, by any any type of restriction. And then it's just a, like we we use this term kind of like habitual capability, which is if you can run and put, let's say three times body weight through through your body well for your calf muscle while you're running then your training needs to train the muscles and the tendons to be able to deal with three times body weight so
0: mm-hmm.
1: the example i would i often give is that doing three sets of 10 is not going to touch the size for most people because you're about yeah. to go and do a 10k and you're putting more than one times body weight through there so actually as you get to the higher volumes the body doesn't know load or it doesn't know um um uh kind of actual the amount of load that's going through it but it does know stress and it does know strain and you can in those latter repetitions you can force the tissue the muscles and the tendons to behave almost identically under stress as if in running as well and you can build up a capacity to to deal with that so that's why the volume for us becomes like really really important and if and just to add to that point alex that that's why
2: the risk assessment and the personalization is so important because you know you that is what then sets how many repetitions we're going to ask someone to do and if you ask someone who's you know at a very low risk of injury to do a small number of reps, that's not going to help them in any way. If you ask someone who's got, at a high risk of injury to do a very large number of steps, that's going to have the equal and opposite problem. is either unachievable or is actually going to injure them. So that's why, you know, sort of advice that you do three times 10 of this or three times 12 of this doesn't work. It, it's, it'll work for a group of people. But for you know vast majority it's either going to be too much or too too little so you, you need to you know you need to scale things to get this stress that Alex is talking about to get the muscle stronger
0: it's really interesting because if you if you talk to i bet however many runners if you and if you or, or, or people in any any other sport endurance sports or any, and they think about strength work that is the kind of norm isn't it that 8 to 12 rep range um perhaps you'll work it for for you know with a weight for four to six weeks your muscle will adapt you'll get a bit stronger and you'll increase it by two and a half kilos on each side or it or or similar to the the volume of reps that you're talking about and how you've just explained that in terms of if you're running a 10k you're running a half marathon or you're running a marathon and you know that your body weight increases because I, I in my, I, and you, you, you'll see people talking about this all the time, but my head in between my shoulder blades felt so heavy doing my marathons. Because I hadn't done any upper body strength training, but I, I thought after I thought, well, I probably should have done because I was the, the aching and the pain. Um, so high reps in all those different areas makes complete sense. But how many actually do that?
1: Sorry, say that again. How many?
0: How many people actually do go to those those kinds of of levels of reps within it within a set?
1: You could ask James because James has uh, um, hit his level week 12 and has got close to some of that volume already. So what sort of volume uh, yeah, are you doing I'm...
0: in week 12, James?
2: So I was up to about nearly three sets of 40 reps with some of the exercises. Um, so that, yeah, so that's quite a lot. And, you know, just to be clear, you don't keep scaling up the amount of exercises you can go to a more difficult exercise, but actually, you know, the whole point of, you know, kind of this prehab or conditioning or whatever you want to call it is, you know, the way you do it is lots and lots of reps at low at body weight, essentially, or very low intensity. And, and it's, you know, it's probably not the podcast to go into, but, you know, there are various different weight, different types of strength. And, you know, Alex talks about maximal strength and how you train for that's one thing. You know, a lot of the 3x12 with, you know, as heavy as you can do 70% of your one rep max or whatever it is, a lot of that's to stimulate, you know, muscle growth, as in get big, get muscly. Um, and actually, as a runner, that's not necessarily what you're looking for. For you don't want big muscles because you're just going to have to lug around. Unless big muscles are giving you a load more power, you just have to lug around more weight. Um, and, and that's why, you know, it's, it's important to kind of, you know, Alex, I think you always talk about the outcome. It's important to try to know what the outcome you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. is. Um, and I think too often with strength training, people are not necessarily thinking about the outcome they they want from it, they're 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 doing it, you know, and the sort of medium reps, medium weight, which builds muscle, it's not ideal for runners.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I'd add to that as well that um yeah know James has knocked the nail on the on the head there. Um he should become a strength coach. Um but the the, <laughs> the 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 um the second bit I think which is really important which sits alongside that when you look at the the type of training people do when when you are going to the sets of eight to ten or sets of twelve repetitions, the the thing that stops them from loading that exercise isn't often isn't going to be the tissue or the muscle which they're trying to target. So I'll give you an example that when you see people squatting, um, most people their, their quads are strong enough to probably have two times their body weight just where, where you know that's roughly about right so like if you weigh 60 kilos you should theoretically be able to do um eight to ten repetitions on 120 kilos um of, of, of on the squat now i guarantee it's not the quad that stops them from um loading 120 kilos on that it will be their back So suddenly you're loading to the most limiting factor of your body. So so you might end up, when you're squatting, putting 110% of stress through the back's maximal capability and only 70% of stress or 60% of stress through the quad. So the quad's just not getting enough stimulus. So suddenly you're just training and you're training at what the back can tolerate. And this is often the, the, the real issue with, with, with strength training, that the the areas that we are targeting are limited by other parts of the body that can tolerate can tolerate that. Our body's the same. Often when you're trying to load the back or the chest, it's the biceps and triceps which are, are limiting them. So the ability to load really heavy isn't uh, – you're not being limited by what your pec or your lap dorsi can lift. It's because your bicep or your tricep is really weak. So – so actually you're not loading what you're thinking you're loading. And this is the, the big kind of myth or the big big unwritten or unspoken rule around strength training that you ha- it has to be at a genuine absolute intensity, not a relative intensity. But people say, Oh, you know, it's you know, relative to what I can do, I made progress. Well that that's great. But if you think that your quad can do two times your body weight, then you've got to really question what a single leg split squat with 40 kilos on your back is doing or a um a back squat with 60 kilos on because it's not it's not targeting the quad anywhere near as much as what people think it is which is why when you go to the higher repetition based work you're not limited by the body's ability to tolerate the loading um in other parts of the body you and you can directly load the tissue which is you're trying to target and you can target it really effectively um, by body weights and doing, doing high volumes. Now, I'm, well, I'm not saying a strength, high load or heavy strength training or maximal strength training isn't important, but clearly it is. And you know, um, if you ever came in and watched me coach the athletes I do, you'll see it's a big part of our training program. But for the vast majority of people, they don't need it anywhere near as much as what they think they do. Um, you do need to be strong, but you get that through, through the type of training we're suggesting. But you just don't have the availability of equipment, facilities, expertise, or if you do, you have to pay quite a significant price for it. And our job mm-hmm. is to try and, which is why we've come back down to this idea of like work capacity, strength, strength, endurance type of work, and range of movement, flexibility work. Is like if you can do those two things anywhere, you you are doing, you're getting eighty percent of the the outcome that you need, and you don't probably need to get that last twenty percent. And if you do, then you'll be training three or four hours a day to get that mm-hmm. so that's a really long-winded so you, uh, explanation you
0: know, to it, it no it's, it's really interesting i had a couple of thoughts one is one is that the reason why you see some people walking around and they're all jacked in their upper body but then they have really skinny legs <laughs> that came to mind because <laughs> uh, i have a friend like that and we rib him for it i so, thought so perhaps he perhaps his back's weak and he's doing his squats and he's and it's not loading his legs um and then the other one is though that you can actually you, you can be kinder to yourself, can't you? You don't have to hammer yourself, and you can st- and you can be kinder to yourself and have it as a real complimentary thing. To and I think this comes we're going back to the age thing as well. But if I if I think back to trying to compete when you're younger, you just, you, you you kind of hammer your own body, whereas now I've. Uh, i'm in my 40s i try I, I want to be kinder to myself and not you know because of the amount of recovery time takes longer you, you, you all of the things that come with age so via these via your program and and via educating yourself and listening to the things that you say and you realize that you, you can be kinder to yourself you can still get stronger you, you can get more mobility you can get more strength you can improve um, and you don't have to annihilate your body doing it
1: yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think sit along sitting alongside that, it's it's not just about being kinder to yourself; it's making it more accessible as well. So as soon as you say, "Well, actually, you can use your body weight, and you can do it at home, or you can do it in the back garden, or you can do it at the gym if you want to," but ultimately, you're saying like it's it's available to everybody, um, and you're not you're not limited now to you know just having to go to the gym and I think fundamentally that's a really a really important philosophical um stream within soar um that we that's one of the things we genuinely believe that we need to make um everything we do accessible which isn't just about you know the cost that we that, that of it but it's the the ability to literally do it anywhere with very limited um um equipment i think you could probably get away with just having one step or your set of stairs a chair and maybe a a tennis ball um and you pretty much have got everything you need to to do what you what you what you you need to complete the training program and develop yourself enough to um to improve the, the physical qualities to support your running but probably um Beyond running as well, just a healthier lower body to sustain all the other things that you do
2: and I think the other point is this is here to supplement your running, and you know it's not going to leave you stiff and sore so you can't do your running in the way that actually if you if you get your strength and conditioning wrong or if you're going very heavy it, it might so I think that's quite you know from a personal perspective like as a runner, I find that quite attractive.
0: Mm-hmm yeah definitely
2: what what's your
0: opinion or have you got an opinion both on the thing that i have seen which involves lots of reps and build and building muscle is the occlusion training the blood flow restriction it what's your opinion on that
1: i was um utilizing that yesterday evening uh, for or two evenings ago with one of the athletes i work with um so it doesn't substitute the actual work required. It's again, you know, it's in the similar vein, um, James talking about this the strength training supplementing your running, blood flow restriction training supplements the rest of your 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 training. Um and particularly those individuals that have um like a loading issue, so that so Immediately after an injury has occurred and you've been told that you can you can load and there's no pain, often you'll recreate the pain by increasing large uh, by 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 putting a little bit of load on. But by what blood flow does it? For those who don't know, it it, it restricts the blood flow going into the muscle and coming out of the muscle. It has a, um, a series of effects on your hormonal system, your your circulatory system um your muscle muscle tendon uh system as well and and the exact mechanisms isn't known but it creates a degree of stress within that muscle already um like a metabolic stress so it's putting it under a, a degree of um, stress before you even put the load on so when you put a low load on you can recreate higher loading or higher volume based training by doing less repetitions with lighter lighter weight so you can get quite quite a potent changes in um in uh in the muscle in the muscle area and it has also been shown to improve um other physiological characteristics for um endurance athletes as well i I remember working the british rowers; we were doing it in an altitude chamber um with really high volume training to try and improve their local muscular endurance ahead of the 2012 uh games um so it has a it has a vast it has a vast Im- impact. But there's two things which are really important on that. The first is it doesn't it doesn't repl- it doesn't um, what's the word um, replace regular training. And the the second bit, which is probably the most important, is um, the health and safety of it. So if you've had any cardiorespiratory disorder, if you're you've got high blood pressure you've had neural um issues like sciatica for instance um then creating that pressure around a limb may be a contraindication for for you know for um for for its use and one of the, the big things is you know you should only be your your the pressure applied on the cuff should always be below your systolic blood pressure so if you've got 120 over uh, 80 is a normal blood pressure then the pressure applied should be below 120 uh, millimoles of, of mercury and that's um and we often say half of your systolic pressure but it's really difficult to do that without equipment so what people tend to do is get a bit of rubber and <laughs> I, I was guilty of this guilty of this in my in my early early days um but um you include a little bit, do a little bit of training, and then take it off having no idea what what it, what it was doing. Things have moved on a lot further than that. But I I would say you need to get medical clearance first, and actually going back to the point James hammered home as well. What is the intended outcome, and how would this type of training support you to get there? Um, and can you do it in alternative and potentially safer safer methods? Mm-hmm.
0: Very good. Okay, so let's let's look at let's give let's let's give people some um, some specific exercises that you'd recommend, uh, or target areas that they should focus on, just as a. a to encompass the injuries that we've that we've mentioned I suppose from the knee down is it a, is there a set is there a set of exercises perhaps that people should be thinking about doing or, or they should be doing
1: um, loosely yes there's obviously mm-hmm. personalization around high risks and so on but if you were to look at it purely from the areas we know which are likely to cause you or um, would well, be a contributing factor to why you might become injured, um, whether that's runner's knee or an Achilles tendinopathy. Then I would be looking at ankle range of movement and making sure you've got really good um, uh, dorsiflexion, so bringing the toes up towards your shin. If that becomes restricted, that becomes a really big um, marker for um, loading through the, through the lower leg. I'd look at calf-based training, so single uh, sorry, single leg, double leg calf raises, um, because that's a really important area. So if I was to tell you the quad, or the if I want to be really specific, the um, vastus, uh, vastus medialis, and the soleus, those two muscles alone will take around eighty percent of the load on immediate contact with the floor while running just those two muscles so if you think those two muscles are um not being trained well enough then i would that's where we we go like to so make sure you've got the, the slayers and the gastroc under under some good loading which then obviously means a quad needs some um some good good loading in, in, in that space too and it also needs really good range of movement as well so The ability for the the quad and the hip flexor um to have like a freely range a freely available range of movement to work within is going to be important Mm -hmm. um and then the so we, we talk about slayers and quad being the the muscles which um take on all the loading force as you land it's your hamstring and your glute, which are the muscles which propel you forward. So some muscles control, other muscles then move you forward. So that's that's your hamstring and your and your glute. Um, so hamstring, um, hamstring loading. So you can do hamstring in, in two or two or three different ways. You can do like a knee dominant hamstring, which is like sitting on the machines that you'd normally see on the um, in the gym, um, or yep. you can do them on sort of like the on a, lying on your back with your feet on top of a kind of a swiss ball or you know, being inflatable balls and pulling the, the ball in towards you or you can do more hip dominant based actions which is kind of standing up and almost like a waiter's bow and coming back up so that kind of gets the hamstrings at both ends and then yes. a lot of hip hip bridging with either shoulders on the floor or shoulders on a box and kind of driving the hips up towards so you're facing upwards shoulders on the floor shoulders on the box um and you're driving the hips up towards the ceiling, that kind of gets you through that, that um, the hip. And the hip or the glute is really important in that when you look at running, most of the extension that the hip goes through is kind of behind the body. So the knee, if you think about with well, the body running here, this is your leg, this is your knee. Like as I land, it's kind of as the leg goes behind the body, which is where the extension of all the, um, the the glute extension, the glute forces produce. So That's why that kind of really top end of extension is really important. Um, which is why the hip bridging becomes quite a, a good exercise compared to like a squat exercise because the squat you're in a deep hip flexion and you're not going into real big extension where the hip thrust or the hip bridging you go for this big extension. Um, And then the only other things I would look at is once you often, you need a a kind of a stable pelvis and trunk, really. So just some fundamental trunk training on the anterior or the front of your trunk and the kind of the sides, the back tends to be, for most people, for about 80% of the people, your back's not a problem. It's normally your front and your sides that you you kind of want to work on. So planking. Uh, base activities which are pretty good or any kind of dynamic um dynamic trunk work where you're kind of at length so we don't often talk about crunches because that shortens you down and you're kind of kind of making yourself smaller we want you to be long through the abdominal wall and kind of so you might have seen swiss ball rollouts or rollouts or planks as well where you walk your hands out it just keeps those abdominals at length and that's kind of what you want while you're running. You want to be nice and tall while running rather than this kind of crunched position while running. So those would be the general, general things that I would be going. Obviously, if you've got an Achilles issue, then you would target more around the Achilles or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, those would be the, the, the most kind of generic things I'll be saying that people need to be doing. And there are some fantastic videos
2: and Twitter threads on at train with sore on twitter that will show you some of those and many other exercises and some of some of them are nicely done together if you've got a particular um injury like achilles tendinopathy there's a kind of nice nice thread there for things to strengthen the achilles
0: yeah if you want to find those easily just go to the strength section on our website and we've and we've linked to all of those or on the sore twitter profile Gents, thanks ever so much. I, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know you've got suitcases to pack. <laughs>
1: True, cars to pack as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, so thanks ever so much for joining us again.
1: And for we'll, um, us.
0: yeah, and we'll uh, we will do this again very soon.
1: Thank thanks, you Jay. very much. Thanks, Joe.